Welcome to the Rugby Rant Podcast Show, your premier North American rugby podcast. Growing rugby, one fan at a time. Here we are, rugby fans, back for another bout here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show for episode 139. And joining us here, we've got myself, Ty the Saffer Braga. Joining me as per usual by my side is Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt. And we've brought in some extra help here today, a newcomer to, of course, the show here. We welcome Liz Holcroft, who considers herself, or I called her a super fan for Seattle. She said, you flatter me too much, but you certainly are somebody who is integral as a fan and, of course, are supporting rugby across the country, and that's why you are here. Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, It's my honor, or my pleasure, rather. Yeah, well, we're hoping that you're going to put Rob through the ringer here today, uh, because for the first time, we might have somebody who can certainly match him fact for fact and probably have more. And I'm looking forward to this. So if for those folks, yeah, that you heard it, it, folks, right there, it's clear now that uh, the big guy does not use facts. It's speculation <laughs> that he uses. So um, we now see the, the veil uh, to the wizard has been lifted and, and we now know what he's all about. Right. There was no mystery in that one before. <laughs> so here is how it goes. If you are tuning in for the first time, welcome to the Rugby Rant. We're going to be sharing what we think about rugby, what we know, and of course, give you the opportunity to learn through this experience. And we start that all off with Around the Pitch. We're going to be back in a moment to share the quick fire news from across the rugby realms. When we pick up the ball, we also pick up a legacy. A legacy that stretches beyond your current team. A legacy built on the backs of those who came before you with hard work. And for those who will come after you, we promise it won't be easy. But we'll be there, supporting you on and off the field. Here we are, guys. We're here to be able to share what we think the fans at home should learn about when it comes to everything rugby North America. And we're going to start it off with you, Rob, to kick us off. Thanks, Ty. And, and once again, welcome, Liz. Um, I want to start off talking about a monumental weekend here in Chicago. The Chicago Hounds, of course, played the San Diego Legion. And it was monumental because we had a number of 50s achieved. So two members of the Chicago Hounds, Michael Baska and uh, captain of the United States uh, Eagles, uh, Bryce Campbell, reached 50 caps in the MLR. And I know we're past the 50 for 50 mark, but I think it's significant that two from the team reached at the same time. And then maybe more importantly is San Diego Legion reached 50 MLR victories. And this is the first team to do that in the league. So it's certainly notable. Um, I just want to take a moment. I Interestingly, I had a conversation with uh, head coach Danny Lee prior to the weekend's match. And one of the things that was interesting is, is he said they hadn't played a complete game uh, up to this weekend. Um, they, had, they were areas of concern, notably the, the set piece, but also their ability to control the tempo of the game throughout, as well as the fact that um, 
quite frankly, you said, you know, we scored in bunches, but we don't have many of those scores coming from more than one or two face play. So after the match, I asked him, I said, hey, Coach Lee, did, was this a complete game? You guys played very well, uh, especially in the second half. And he said, no, we still have a lot to work on. So that gives fans an idea of just where, you know, head coach Danny Lee and the San Diego Legion, Legion are at as they had in the last two weeks of MLR play and have their eye on a playoff berth, which they've already claimed. Right. And a great credit to them, of course, to all the players and the coaching staff to continue pushing themselves to do even more because their road is not entirely paved smooth. They still got to fight it out to the end, but they are one of the contenders as per usual. We've come used to seeing them up at the top when it gets down to the latter part of these seasons. So no surprise again to see them there. Liz, what do you have to share with our fans? Well, I thought it was pretty interesting that USA Rugby has announced two new positions or um, openings, rather. Um, Dan Payne is leaving the position of general manager of high performance. Uh, he'll have some rather large shoes to fill as a Eagle alum, USA Rugby CEO, and has spent the last two years um, as their general manager. Uh, they've also just announced, and this was in the last couple of hours, that there will be a um, general man or a manager of high performance for women as a separate position that is also currently open. So uh, get your resumes ready and see if that. Uh... Right. Yeah. Whoever has complained that they can do a better job, it's time to put your money where your mouth is, right? Exactly. <laughs> put your hand up as they say in rugby. Right, right. And by the way, I mean, I mentioned Dan's like, hey, guys, I had three major jobs at any one time. You could handle just this one. <laughs> so a great point there. And, and we do always want to we joke about it, but it's great to be able to have folks out there that have the talent to be able to raise their hand because, you know, new people can bring new ideas and a new room sweeps clean. And that's all good, positive stuff. And we wish Dan well with whatever is next. So uh, let me take the opportunity and stay on that. Uh, train the thought here with uh, USA Rugby, and I'm going to turn our attention to the Eagles. And why I do so is recently it was made an, uh, aware to fans that we're going to be hosting on U.S. soil to lose rugby by way of the Utah Warriors have managed not only to be able to continue their partnership that they promised would be an exciting opportunities. Uh, we recently had the chance to be able to meet with Nick Colling, assistant general manager to Utah. He gave us a little teaser of it and the ball is now there in their court to be able to host them, not in their traditional stadium. It's going to be in Sandy, Utah, uh, amazing stadium. Tickets are only about, I think they started about 20 bucks, right? And go up to 40. So obviously it's reasonable. Uh, we hope to be able to have a great crowd there. It's going to be USA Eagles, greater squad, really great talent coming through. It's going to be an exhibition of notes. Uh, and it's going to be at the back end of that August tour, uh, September tour on September 17th. Mark your calendars. Uh, we'll know more about broadcast details the closer we get to it. But it's exciting to be able to host a team from the top 14 here on U.S. soil. Uh, of course, that great French side, Toulouse. Rob, I hand it to you again. Thank you. I want to follow through with my Around the Pitch piece from last week where I spoke about the Rugby Illinois State Finals being um, played at the Chicago Blaze pitch. Of course, uh, I speak about it, my shameless plug, my home pitch where I played. Nevertheless, I want to follow through with that because uh, state champions were crowned at the D1A level. Congratulations to, to coach head coach John McGurk, Glen Allen Ducks, two years in a row state champions, a defeat of La Salette 
Academy Lions, 31 to 29. I actually had the pleasure of calling this match with a good friend of the show, John Cullen. It was an absolute joy and a lot of fun to call that match from the sidelines. So um, great match. Uh, actually, Lasselet came back in the second half and really put uh, the screws to the Ducks, but uh, the Ducks came out in the end. Uh, D2, the Chicago Lions Academy defeated the CRC Academy associated with the Chicago Griffins 40-17 to in the Division II state champions. And then the week prior uh, in Division I girls, the CRC Valkyries, again, associated with the, the Griffins, um, beat uh, the Taft Eagles 24-7. to So it was really exciting to name champions. So hopefully we'll see some of these players play in college and beyond. All right, the next generation of rugby superstars on American soil. That World Cup may seem like it's quite far away, but I tell you what, it's not. And it's these guys that will be taking the field then, hopefully, representing the nation. And let's hand it over to you again, Liz. All right, thanks, Ty. Um, the next thing that I'm, I'm going to plug is rookie rugby, which uh, I'm super passionate about. Getting kids out starting as early as five entering kindergarten. Um there has been a new push and like a revamp of what we knew rookie rugby to be. Uh, it is a partnership with the MLR, um, youth and high school rugby, um, which is part of USA rugby. And their goal is to get a rugby ball in every kid's hand in America. Uh, or actually, I guess it's actually across um, North America. So Canada too. Um I'm only teasing. North America. We love our Canadian friends. Uh, just love teasing them even more. Uh, those Toronto. He's just trying to get Doug Wilkie wound up. Right. <laughs> I can feel him. His presence somewhere. Like he just had like a jab in his ribs as we said that. Um, but what's really cool is they're not just trying to do it at uh, the club level. Uh, uh -huh. They're going for schools. So. Um, right. They are offering free training for coaches and for PE teachers, um, a free curriculum and free equipment. So balls, uh, flags, and um, I believe also cones. Um, and uh, they currently are looking for people, but um, they're still working on getting coordinators out. So if you are interested, their website is phenomenal. Uh, if you play rugby or even if you're just a parent wanting to throw the ball around with your kid and get some fun ideas to do, uh, like I said, curriculum yeah. and uh, just fun skills. And it is imaginerugby.org. Uh, and if you scroll down to the bottom, there's a place where you can put your email address and be added to their mailing list for when they start rolling out um coordinators for different regions. Nice. This is, and this is awesome that. stuff, Ty. We've talked about this all the time, the institutionalization. That's the only way right. I think that we're going to move forward. You know, the big, the big challenge is, is. I was about to say the same thing, Rob. Yeah, like, once you, you find that as those 20 yeah. episodes, we said that where it needs to yeah. go into PE, right. it needs to be introduced in these institutions, man, I love it. And but, yes, uh, they're looking for the whole shebang to right. coordinate it so that there is also a club ready to take those kids after right. school. And, and that the, the critical piece is, conti you know, continuing education. It's easy to go out and introduce it to a PE teacher or to, to a staff, but then how do you continue to reinforce it year after year uh, so that it continues to be a mainstay in a PE curriculum? That's the challenge. They have curriculum from elementary through high school. Yeah. So it's, it's completely comprehensive and I, I'm, 
completely in awe on what they're doing. Right. And, and I, again, the name of that website, imaginerugby.org. Go and check it out as a fan. You can certainly help make a difference to grow the sport we all love here, uh, closer to home, right? And hopefully we take that rugby abroad and show the world what we got. So let's uh, let me dive into the last piece as we talk about rugby abroad. We're going to turn our attention back to the USA Eagles with the women's game over here as they took down uh, the, or took on the opportunity, I should say, to be able to show what they've got is the U23 squad. The next generation of superstars went down to South America, taking on Brazil and San Paulo. Uh, that ended up being a deadlocked match at 15 all, although, of course, the scoreline would suggest that it was a struggle and that's what they expected that's what they got but it managed to be able to highlight some great talent and much of that talent you will see playing for the senior side uh, very shortly i am sure their next biggest challenge will be coming up against Colombia. And uh, I want to be able to make sure fans understand, while I recognize and while you should recognize U23 is the uh, uh, the age grade, you could so to speak, for, for the, uh, the ladies for the USA. But they're playing against the national sides of Brazil and Colombia. Uh, so it's, uh, it's wonderful to be able to see them test themselves on that platform and bring that uh, experience back home and onto greater challenges. So pay attention to that. You'll get to be able to watch that on Flow Sports. We'll be covering it, so you have no excuse. If you're watching USA Rugby, you know that Flow Sports is the home, so you have the opportunity to watch them as well. There we have it. Ground the pitch. We said what we need to say and tell us what you think we should have covered by, again, following us under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. Myself, Liz, and Rob will be there to answer any questions you have and hear your recommendations for next week. But what we're going to do now is take a short break, and when we return, we're going to be talking about these dash auctions that the MLR has two or three times a year. Is it effective for the clubs, for the teams? Does it help or hurt them? Let's find out when we bring come back. Tighthead Brewing Company is not just Chicago's premier location to watch rugby and enjoy quality ales and lagers. It is also a great place to enjoy local acts performing live music every Thursday and Saturday nights. Additionally, their Wednesday night trivia nights are something not to be missed. Tighthead is located in Mundelein, Illinois, and easily accessible for many Chicagoans, as it is just steps away from the metro. Owner Bruce Durr and the Tighthead staff are dedicated to ensure your micro crew experience is as tight as their beers. Bruce's love for rugby extends beyond the origin of his brewery's name. Tighthead is committed to supporting the rugby community. This includes his support for Lake County RFC and our own Rugby Rant podcast show. Tighthead's tap room is like the familiar rugby clubhouse in which friends and teammates can meet, socialize, and enjoy the wide variety of brews on tap. Regardless of whether your palate enjoys a good IPA or dark barrel-aged brew, Tighthead can deliver. Hey, Chicago, when you want rugby, Tighthead Brewing Company will satisfy your thirst. Tighthead, it's worth more than a try. And welcome back, rugby fans. Again, episode 139 of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. And on this occasion, just like the ones before, we're going to choose one topic, debate it, 
between all of us and see what comes out at the end. What are we talking about? Well, many fans have proposed the question over time, but more recently through the Dash auctions that the MLR has set forward for fans to be able to have their chance to grab a piece of MLR history with some worn jerseys. They do this for all the right occasions. Veterans Day, we've had the vintage jersey, the city styles, the theme may change, but the concept remains the same. You, as a rugby fan, have the opportunity to buy a piece of Major League Rugby with your winning bid. Now, do those bids end, end up putting dollars in the, the coffers of these rugby sides? Does it end up growing fan engagement and building marketing value for the brand that is Major League Rugby? Well, these are the questions we've come to be able to ask and have answered by Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt and again, Liz Holcroft. And Liz, it's a bit of a tradition that we give the first opportunity to speak to our guest. So you know the rules. We're looking for three things here to focus on. Marketing, fan engagement, and revenue. Does it help or hurt Major League Rugby by using these dash auctions? The floor is yours. Well, great question there. Um, as far as fan engagement goes, I think I think they're doing something right. They've got the concept there, um, and it gives the fans an opportunity to show their appreciation with numbers. Put your money where your mouth is. And um, as far as marketing goes and revenue. The numbers are saying something different. <laughs> I, I don't so believe it. So your face, apparently. <laughs> You're like, um, yeah, I like it. I like it. Keep it going. Um, I'll let Rob go, and then I, I'll counter him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Oh, that's how it's going to be, huh? Totally. <laughs> She's like holding some ammunition back here, you know? You can see. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and I thought I thought Scott was devilish uh, when he came on the rugby rant. Um, I, I I now know who my uh, my uh, um, nemesis is going to be moving forward. What can I say? What's that? I said, what can I say? Well, I, I have She's a feeling I have a lot to say here in a little bit. Um, so, is it effective? Um, I, I think that in those three areas we're talking about. You know, revenue or, or at least the ability to raise money for charity, um, marketing and, brand, you know, building brand through fan engagement. I think we can answer those questions a little bit differently for each. Um, I think it, it, it part of the problem in my mind is that they have too many. You know, they I, I, I love this year they did the nameplates and, and Liz actually, to her credit, reminded me, I mean, I knew that was out there, but she reminded me that that was all part of the Dash auction process. And I love the nameplates because actually it was something that, you know, fans who didn't have a lot of money could actually get a piece of memorabilia signed by a favorite player. And I think that the, it started at 25 bucks. So it was a great way to engage fans, especially at the lower, uh, lower level uh, of cost. Um, the problem is I think, Oftentimes when they offer the second auction, people have blown their wad on the first auction. Um, you know, I know that's happened in a couple of occasions to me where, okay, I think the first year, the first auction came out, military jersey, I bid on, um, you know, uh, uh, the number seven for the no gold. I got it. And then when the next one came around, I think it was the breast cancer awareness. I went, oh, that's uh, actually a really cool um, jersey. It was just basically the same thing except for pink 
you know, same jersey that I understand for pink. And I really like the idea. I really like the charity because I think it's an important one. Um, but I'm like, yeah, I already spent my money on the first one. Um, so, you know, I think um, perhaps, uh, you, you know, having just the two auctions, one jersey, one nameplate per year might simplify it, make it a little easier. Um, I love the idea, though, of fan engagement, of giving people an opportunity to get some history. I mean, I know, I, 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 to her credit, um, you know, more, uh, uh, Jessica um, at NOLA, Morgan at NOLA do a great job. And I've said, you know, for one of my jer- – well, actually, I'll, the two of NOLA gold jerseys, I asked him, I said, hey, can, can you have the back – one year I wanted all number sevens who had played number seven for NOLA to sign it. She got it done. The next year I wanted the back row that played in that game to sign the no- number seven jersey. Um, and and they made it happen. And so, you know, that team has been terribly accommodating to me, um, grossly so much so. But um, nevertheless, I, I, I think that way to engage fans has been incredibly positive. Um, having said that, I think teams need to keep an eye on the marketing piece. How do we maximize our value? And that is great design, having one jersey each year with a tremendous mm-hmm. design. Um, and, and I don't want to steal, uh, Liz's thunder. So I I know she'll come back and talk a little bit about it, but, you know, three of the biggest, um, the, the teams that have the biggest numbers in terms of total value collected from the sale of 25 jerseys, um, are three awesome designs because they're awesome. They sold well. The aesthetic value is obviously so important. I mean, what's the first thing you're going to do with a jersey of this nature? You're not going to walk around wearing it in the street. You're going to put it up on your wall as a symbol of pride as a fan, right? As Rob is pointing to the one right behind him. I mean, it's like Nola threw up in his room there. Um, <laughs> Actually, that's a New Zealand All Black jersey signed by the... Uh, oh, that's true. Okay. You got me on that one. 2018, maybe? Right. So my point exactly, where is it? Framed and on the wall. Right. And aesthetically, you want to make sure that it's pleasing. You want to make sure that it's unique in some way. So it tells a little bit of a story, right? And, and I think that that's a marketing area. Well, there we go. There's another great example there. So and with each one of those, I bet you Rob has a story. How he got it and everything about it, right? And, and that's not, that's not a, a slight at, at Rob. I'm saying there's a story. There's a narrative. And I think that that's a marketing miss, Right. And I think that that and and if you did have one jersey from each team each year and you do it position a little bit later, yeah, sure. If you want it to be the veteran jersey, great, too. But it could be a a tale of the season. Right. It could be a story of their success, their triumph and their tribulations. Right. You could be a part of the narrative. Right. And each week you have another player sign it who was the man of the match or something and filling that up. You know, you can create a much bigger story so that when it does happen. You have maximum engagement. And and for those people who don't know, I feel a little bit more passionate about this subject because it's an auction and I am a professional auctioneer. That's what I do for a living. So, but although I would stand on stage and I would do this. So your level of engagement is so much easier to participate. Just go to the website, fill in a bid, right? But to Rob's earlier point, and, and actually probably it was even earlier made a point by Liz, is that there's two auctions now with the introduction of the plates. That is a great entry level at 25 bucks. I think you said it was Rob, right? And then the higher ticket item, which should be at the end of the season. That's the narrative. That's the prize. That's the golden ticket there, right? And you've got a story with it. So definitely that's on the marketing side of stuff there. And what it might also do for the revenue 
is push that bid to make it more competitive and push the bid even higher, right? And that's what an auction's supposed to do. An auction isn't supposed to be first bidder and only bidder gets it. That's not an auction. You're going to walk into a shop and pay the ticket price, right? That's not an auction to me. So I spoke a little bit longer than, 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 I, than I might normally have in my piece in between. Hmm. It's best we hand it back to Liz because I know you, you spoke pre-show a lot about uh, uh, you know, this and you got some really good details. Rob hinted towards some of it. We're just going to throw it back to you to be able to carry it home. Sounds great. Um, I'm wondering about the too many aspect. I think that they could do the two auctions, two jerseys a year. But the fact that they're one month after one another, I think it's that they're too close together. Right. If they were to separate it, like, wouldn't it be awesome if they did one at the end of the season and then they did one for like the beginning of the season to get people mm-hmm. excited about? Right. There's another missed opportunity: the preseason buildup. Right. Hype. You could preseason build up. You buy a number, and then when that per when somebody plays it, you get it signed and it gets shipped to you at the end of the season. Um, yeah. As far as charity is concerned, I love the concept that they're raising money for charity. Unfortunately, there does not seem to be a lot of consistency. And I don't mean that as every team is raising money for the same foundation. But if you go and you look at the social media where they're announcing these auctions, they are not saying whether or not some teams say, yes, this is going towards our local rugby community. Some are saying this is going to uh, towards um, conservancy near us. And then other teams have just left it blank. I'm fine if it's going to the clubs and it's supporting rugby at any level, but I wish that there was some consistent um, communication coming out as to- That's a part of the story, the narrative, right? right? Your dollar is going to help whatever it is, right? And even if it was to help my MLR team, so be it. I'll happily help them. Like, that's great. Keep rugby alive. Um, and then as far as marketing goes, it really does. It, I am a complete and utter nerd and pulled up all of the auctions, um, that I could find. So I was able to get the current season. So, uh, the city jerseys and mm-hmm. as Rob mentioned, yeah, the top three were Houston, old glory and NOLA in that order. Um, and Houston's, I mean. It glows in the dark. How could you not love that? That is some yeah, great marketing. Right. Not to mention the aesthetic appeal of it, you know, good looking jerseys, great jerseys will sell. They also marketed it more than I think right. any other team did right. as far as posts. Liz, let me ask you a question because I, I tried finding the cherry blossom jersey from OG. What was the total the total number on that? Because I know you have it. You mean the yes. final bed? You mean um, no, no, no. So I, what I did is I did in about I think I had maybe 20 some jerseys where I did a list of all of them by number. And then I averaged, I did average sale for that season for that set and then did the total. Uh, that was actually. This is like a, like a statistics challenge. For those that are listening, Liz accidentally tipped to me that she was doing this. So I'm like, Oh boy, I better up my game. And, and I was hoping Scott to be on here. Cause so we could make him look like a simpleton, uh, even though he is an accountant by trade, but uh, you know, I think he got wind of it and backed out. I would have shared with you. I, I wasn't holding it on for myself. Somebody else's work. I wanted to do my own work, Liz. I'm a teacher. Um, so Houston came in at uh, 8,300 yeah. and some change. 
um, Old Glory was um, $7,950 and NOLA was uh, $7,725. Oh, I had some. So, yeah. It's all in a very similar range. I mean, there's only a right. few hundred bucks, less than a thousand that separates them, which is positive. And so, then we had, yeah. And then well, we had like, a bunch in the middle. And then we had a couple at the bottom that, and right. if you looked at them, if you looked at those comparison, like I feel bad calling out, there are two teams in particular that had really, really boring. Don't tell me the names. Uh, rugby ATL and Dallas. Yeah. Okay. Rugby ATL had a lot of backlash anyway. Yeah. Right. I think so that was probably inevitable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are two. There are two. Like, here's the thing that really got it. Both of those. Their average, so granted, some of them didn't even sell. Their average for their jerseys was less than what you would pay for them if you were yes. to buy them new. Yeah. Man, that's a damning tale there. Yeah. Even worse, Dallas's average was less than you would pay for the replica. So okay, well, let's put this in man. Wow. Well, yeah, you know, averaging at a cost yeah. of 25, it's less than what you would pay for a jersey yeah. online, not game one. Yeah. Wow. So, so to put in a context for fans, some of them the minimum bid was two hundred dollars, but you might have only right. gotten five or six sales of two hundred dollars. You right. divide and that by zero. Right, and some were zero. You know, some other teams started a hundred dollars. That's the other question. Where do you start the bid? And um, you know, now that's the golden rule when it comes to auctions. Right. And in auctions, it's all about where do you start the bid. In order right. to be able to do so, you need to know your audience well. So I wonder if you looked at the data and what does the average fan spend on merchandise in a season? What are they comfortable doing now? And how much more would they be comfortable spending if we gave them this as added value? Those are the type of questions you should know before, or do you just put it out there and hope for the best? Well, maybe that's the strategy to start, but it's we need an evaluation stage, right? Uh, is it working? How can we make it work better? But that's an interesting point that you bring up, because if you do look at Rugby ATL and you look at Dallas, Dallas did have the $200 starting bid. 14 of their jerseys didn't sell. Right. Right. That's a big chunk. Whereas Rugby ATL had the 75 right. and they sold all of theirs. Mm -hmm. right. and, and any auction, it's about getting multiple bids. And, you know, you'll anybody who's had even the most limited experience with auctions would know the idea is to get multiple bids. That's why you go to an auction. The other point of going to an auction is to get what you think is going to be the best possible price. Right. So you limit the opportunity. You make it exclusive. You can't get it anywhere else. They did that right. But my advice would be start as low as possible. I don't care if you started at 10 bucks because the moment I give you 10 bucks, I'm in it until Rob takes it away from me at 20. Now I'm like, hey, I only need it for 10 more than him. And so it continues. I would rather have yeah. 50 people bidding for a single jersey at 10 bucks. And I got 49 of them that lose out that are making, looking for the next best opportunity. See, and, and I think you got to combine that strategy. I don't know that I go 10 bucks. I might go 110 because that's what you combine. Oh, I'm not, I'm not suggesting 10 should be right, the real right. number. Okay, okay. But, but I, I might go 110 because I can go, you know, I can go on, you know, shopmlr.com uh, and buy, you know, a regular jersey for 110. Okay. But that might be where I start because if I'm willing to buy a jersey at 110 there, then I might be willing to buy, buy a game-worn jersey for 110. The outbids may go well. Actually, I'd pay one fifty because it's game worn, and I might go right. up from there incrementally right. and feeds into that strategy the that you're talking about. Average person might hesitate, right? 
Well, let, me, well, let, me, let me throw it back I, to you. I think it depends. Who buys merch. But if you're not the person who continues to buy merch every season, you're not a regular merch buyer, 110 might be a number you're already not comfortable with. But what if it were 50? What if it were the better than normal opportunity to entice you? And so the bids continue upwards from there. I, I think that's where the locker plates come in and fit that right. niche, right? You know, the person, a person looking to buy a jersey expects to pay 110 what you can go to the mm-hmm. vendor for shop MLR a shameless plug for our uh, wonderful sponsor. But um, I think the key is here for the teams uh, and, and, and I like something Liz said, so I'm going to throw this out there. Number one, uh, what do we see? The highest price jerseys Liz mentioned record hadding $800 for a city Jersey, Ma yeah. Nonu 550 for uh, the San Diego city Jersey. But the, so, so one of them is player driven that the, the players that the fans in, you know, in that city love, right. they sell for like, even like a William Weggs pack for Nola, his sell traditionally pretty well. Why? Cause he's a local guy. So, mm-hmm. so whether it's family or whether it's just people, he know, right. and that kind of ties like into it. selling the story factor. Correct. Correct. Uh, here with the Chicago hounds, their city Jersey, the one that I think sold for the most was the 23 Jersey. Why? Because it was a bulls replica mm. and the number 23 is Michael Jordan. Jordan so yeah. somebody wanted that because of that connection. I think right. the other thing that's interesting when we talk about marketing and telling the story is Nola actually advertised on their Jersey auctions uh, for the vintage jerseys that they were actually giving, they were taking them off the players' backs and giving them to the winner. See, that's feeding the story, the narrative. Right. I, I, I so right. now, and it's not, we're taking them, them, washing them, having the player sign it. It's right. The player takes it off. They and sign it. And that's so it, easy to share it. that through social media and any smartphone device. Right. And it's stinky and it's sweaty. But you know what? I got a game. Yeah, there's some romance to it. You know, like I want the blood right. on that. You know, I right. want the, right. the struggle right. and strife. It's it's right. symbolic in a way. And clonable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, these, these are so such good. <laughs> these are such good points though. And, and, and I want to make sure that we circle back around to some of the original things we wanted to be able to find out from you guys, which was its effectiveness as a marketing tool, fan engagement and revenue. So if we dissect into each of those, we, we seem to agree that while it does have a marketing value, there are some clearly missed opportunities there too lot more that can be explored that doesn't actually take a lot of dollars almost none really if we think about you know the tools that are available to us that are free social media being one uh the second was fan engagement so of the fans that are out there let's focus on this one for a moment and liz i'll throw it to you um how many bids? I mean, I wouldn't say that, but if we think of bids being at 200 bucks starting in each incremental bid, I don't know what it was for each of them, but each bid after that is probably an equal value, right? Or, or at least close, right? There's so a couple of random ones. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's like maybe three or four bids from each person. So really the people bidding for that is probably one or two. So really, if we had to talk about it across the league, it's only a very, very small portion of the rugby loving community that are participating in this. So is it actually an effective fan engagement tool for for everyone or just a few people that would spend that money anyways? You know, that's a a great question. I, I wish it could, I think I could have gone back and told you how many bids were on each one. Uh, and I didn't think to gather that. Uh, to I'm see. the auctioneer. That's what I do. So I think that's the um, <laughs> No, that's a really great question. I hadn't even thought about it in that way. Um, 
I mean, it would be even more interesting is to go back and see whether or not it was being shared on social media. So, right. um, and right. my thought is that it's slightly different that, yes, I, I think it does have some fan engagement. The fact, though, that they're bringing in these other jerseys, if they're going to take the time to design these other jerseys as far as a marketing standpoint, so the ones that aren't game-worn and mm-hmm. aren't signed, those are wearable. And, I mean, I'm just thinking about even with my local team, we're K-12 through grade, and they we've got them warm-up T-shirts for the first time ever that they can wear to school. Whereas before, you know, we had our jerseys, but that we handed them to them on the pitch. We took them off their backs and we washed them and brought them back. They didn't have them at school. Kids are starting to wear them at school and kids are asking, oh, you play rugby? Who didn't know before? Parents are wearing them. So the same thing could apply easily with these cool jerseys. But again, I don't think that all of the teams are like – um again nola obviously that jersey is that that was sold separately right i know that like no. most of them were so, yeah it's it's getting to my point i actually i i think these jerseys should be one offs right cuz i bought the hounds jersey i got uh jp eloff's jersey that's what i was showing before and then like a week later they rolled them out available to the public now without so you think the it devalued your 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 winning I don't jersey? think it devalued but but I, I was like well now it's right. not unique right it's not something you whereas the Nola jersey they did not sell it oh. and and by the way it was done the artwork was done by uh Foos a local artist or Foss I think is her, her last name by a local artist and it was one off jersey there are no no additional fan jerseys available so it's truly a piece of art right um, right. Because I think you can buy the print. I have tried to find the print and I can't. And I've reached out my my boy Dan and 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 my girl Sheila Falcon. Okay. Um, I've asked them, and I don't. I, I think it was for sale before, but because uh, it was on a coin um, for some festival, and and I, it sold out. So um, yeah. She did a so yeah, so limited run. So for me, that that cr- kind of creates that authenticity. Now, I would take it a step not a step further and, and plug off what what. Listen, you sell the one off jersey during the season, whatever that may be, right? You sell the locker plate, mm-hmm. and then the following season, because so many teams actually come up with brand new jerseys and a brand new jersey design for the following year. You actually sell last year's jerseys at the beginning of the season. You auction those off. Uh, and then you can have, as Liz talked about, whatever player, you might have three or four different players wear that jersey at some point. You could have all four of them signed. You could have just one signed at your favorite, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. I like it. So the final thing we needed to be able to get your opinions on, the last thing that we asked was revenue. Help or hurt? I mean, it's going to be different for each team, right? Uh, Liz, I'll start with you as your final thought in this regard. Um, again, it depends on the – like. The design is key. Um, if you have the right design, then All right. yeah, I think it would be really so it all starts right at the beginning, right? To be able to, to give you the better outcome, make sure think, that it's appealing, make sure that it's marketed well. Um, yeah. And all of those things will help you sell more jerseys and put more dollars in your pocket because it's, it's obviously helping some teams achieving, even if it's only, you know, to, to some 8,000 may not sound like a lot. But to a rugby organization that didn't have that before, it could actually make a difference, right? Um, so, Rob, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you might yeah. be of a similar opinion, but I'm actually going to hand you the microphone now and ask you, 
um, you know, for some of your final thoughts in regards to this, help or hurt? Well, that's a tough question because I don't know what the deal that the league has with Paladin. I mean, it sounds to me since everybody runs some kind of, I mean, both of the jersey auctions that it's it's forced upon them. Does, you know, what do they pay for those sets of jerseys? Are they paying, you know, Paladin costs, which, you know, costs might be somewhere between seven and $800 to do a special run of jerseys. Um, and then they're giving the money away to a charity. So it, you know, uh, anything beyond eight or nine or a thousand dollars, whatever it might be, whatever their cost might be is a net benefit. So it really doesn't cost them anything. And purely they get a benefit from marketability um, and, and fan engagement. So, you know, it's, it's icing on the cake as, as they say. Um, so I, you know, but without knowing the numbers, it's, that's a hard question to answer. What does your instinct say? My instinct says they probably pretty get a pretty good deal on the shirts. They might pay, you know, like I said, let's say it's a thousand bucks and, you know, anything above over and above that they're, they're, uh, you know, giving to charity. So mm-hmm. in most cases, I think in most cases they're, they're More at least giving some money to charity and they get a, and they get a benefit, you know, they get a marketing benefit from saying that they've given away to charity and right. all, even, if they don't make, even if they don't make money, right. even if they lose money, they don't, they don't make their thousand dollars. I'm just arbitrarily saying that's the number. They could probably write that off. Oh yeah. hundred percent for sure. Absolutely. A charity, a donation is, you know, uh, you can claim that in your taxes. So there's, there's not really a chance of them losing money if they are doing it for charity, because it can all be written off, as you said. But there is the, the, the goodwill and the good faith gesture of connecting with a charity in your local community, the relationships that right. you build, the marketing value, all of those things. So I think in summary, more upside than downside. Um, Liz, I'm going to turn my attention back to you for a moment. And uh, one of the questions that first came up from fans and why we ended up talking about this is that some people felt that there's just too much of these auctions. Um, Would you like to be able to see it less, more, or stay the same? I I go back to, I think it's that they're too close together. If we spread them out, I think it would be. Right. Just needs to be planned better on the calendar. Right. To have them back to back. That being said, though, if there was only one team that kept up their um, revenues from last year or their results from the auctions last year. And it was fascinating. Um, but again, it was also, I think, a design thing. Um, Utah had their city jersey. It did not sell well at all. Their Memorial Day jersey or their military, I think it was, that got auctioned off. All of them sold. And it was, I think they got two to three times the amount um, that they had prior to that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and so the timing, way, you know, sorry, go ahead. I, oh, no, so I, I apologize, but yeah, they didn't sell about a third of theirs for their city Jersey. And then they sold all of them for their, um, military and yeah, made twice as much. And I, I was going to add to that, like, no, I actually, they're both their city jerseys. Uh, the one from 2022, which was the actual combination of the cityscape and then they had the the Mardi Gras theme on it. I think the the total sale on that was sixty five ten, so not you know a little bit short of this year's. But obviously, this year's design was incredibly unique. Yeah. 
All right. Well, there you have it, fans of the Rugby Rant podcast show. Many angles to consider, different factors to recognize, but right now it appears that it has more upside than downside to participate in any of the Dash auctions, although we have recommendations of how we might like to see it work in the future. I think fans who have already chosen to participate and put in a bid, whether they be successful or unsuccessful, might enjoy future opportunities to be a winner, but they might also enjoy it to have time to be able to refill their wallets between doing so. Uh, as a fan, you do need to be able to justify these things, especially if you're also traveling to games and everything else on top of it. But we do obviously love to be able to see that type of fan engagement because it can only continue to be able to help a league that certainly still needs a lot of help from fans just like you. And uh, you can tell us how that could be by following us under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. Of course, we welcome any comments about this or any of the other debates that we've had and our upcoming ones, or perhaps just like Liz, you'd like to be able to join us here and tell us if that is the case. And on that note, Liz, you have been a tremendous guest. Uh, it's great to be able to have a fresh face here, take on uh, the elite uh, of, of Rob. I, I say Rob, I mean, Scott's not here, so can't say elite. Um, he chickened out. <laughs> but uh, he, knew what, he knew what Liz was going to bring to the table and he got scared. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Liz, it's a bit of a tradition, though, for any first timer here or any of our guests, really, to give them the microphone to send a shout out to anybody they think uh, deserves it, any organization, a highlight of an old rugby club that you'd love to send a shout out to. The floor is yours. Um, well, thank you so much, Ty. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, I mentioned them before, Elizabethtown Blues Rugby. Um, we do rookie rugby through 12th grade. Um, and our youth team actually won uh, the Pennsylvania State Championship this year. So oh, congratulations. To them. Um, yeah. Uh, all you, right? <laughs> oh, no. I didn't. I, no, no. I, those boys are those boys are something else. Their coaches are phenomenal. Right. Um, and, uh, no, I worked with the – the girls team, we had our first developmental year sevens and it was, it was great. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, thank you for having me on the show. It was my pleasure. It was a pleasure to be here. So. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, it's great to be able to, to to continue to be able to have conversations like this with true great rugby fans who are continuing to be able to give back. You're a wonderful ambassador to the sport and uh, you do it a wonderful service. Thank you. <laughs> All right, my toes because she's she is uh wants to. I mean, she just asks so many questions because she wants to know, she wants to have knowledge, Mm -hmm. and uh, but but don't mistake that, Liz, for uh, thinking that you're bothering because you're not. It's been a lot, it's it's a lot of fun, um, to to you know engage with a super fan who is so interested in how the league and other aspects of rugby work in, in our country. Thank you. All right. I'm sure uh, this uh, will not be your last time joining us again. That is, of course, Liz Holcroft, a uh, great fan to Major League Rugby, but in particular, Seattle Seawolves, um, where, of course, she happens to call herself her home team there. And uh, you've been spending your time here with myself, Ty, the Saffer Braga, Rob, the Hammer Hammerschmidt, Liz Holcroft. On behalf of everybody, I say thank you for tuning in to episode 139 of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show, and we will see you at the next.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.